Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back worshiping with you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and as well, we'll be looking at our scripture reading for today, which comes from Luke 10. And then we'll also be looking at uh, passages in Matthew 18 and Hebrews chapter 2. So if you uh, keep those in mind, Matthew 18 and Hebrews chapter 2, we'll be looking at those later. But for now, on page 6, our scripture reading comes from Matthew 5 and Luke 10. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then Jesus describing in Luke 10 the picture of, of mercy. Luke 10, 25-37. And behold, a Lord stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the man desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we sang, we remember that you are a roaring lion and you roar through your word. And Lord, we pray that it would affect us, that as we see what is required of us in mercy, that we would most of all see the portrait of you, Lord Jesus, the one who is merciful. And so, Lord, speak to us now through your word, by your Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. When I was working on this sermon, I was uh, at uh, Hillside Coffee Shop, Coffee and Donuts, and uh, I decided that I was going to get a donut, which I normally don't do. I normally just get a cup of coffee. And I got this donut, and it was a Oreo-covered donut. And they put the donut out on the top where they're handing the, the things out. And I'm going to pick up my donut. And as I go to pick up my donut, there's a little kid who walks up to my donut 
and he picks it up off the plate. And I say to him, hey, that's my donut. And uh, okay, he, he, he was startled, and he put it back on the, on the table. He turned around, and he turned back around, looking really sneaky, and picked up my donut again. <laughs> this time I said, that is my donut. You need to put that right down. See, right there in that example, there was a situation where there were two types of mercy that I could have displayed. One was I saw this kid that needed, apparently really needed my donut. See, in one way, mercy is giving aid to somebody who is in need. I could have given him aid by giving him this donut that he thought he needed. But I didn't. I wasn't merciful in that way. The other side of mercy is mercy is forgiving those who sin against you. Now, in that way, I think I was rather merciful to him. You see, when he came to take my donut, I did not hold it against him. I did not tackle him right there on the floor. But see, there's, there's two parts of mercy that we see here in the picture of what mercy it is. It is one, it is giving aid to those who are suffering, to those who are in need. But mercy is also forgiving those who have personally hurt us, who have grieved us, and have sinned against us. So these are the things we're going to look at this morning, these parts of mercy, and then considering the very mercy of Christ himself. So the first thing that we see about mercy is that it's, it's about giving aid, coming to the help of those who are in need and who are hurting. See, in, in the Greek world, it was interesting, back in the, in the ancient Roman times, mercy was kind of seen as this feeling. Whereas you had this, uh, this feeling that aroused when somebody's in need. They'd call it a pathos, a, a feeling. And so in this sense, you feel empathy. You may feel sympathy for somebody, and that was considered mercy. It's this idea of experiencing the pain of somebody else, and there's, there's truth to that, but there's, there's more to it. For example, I, I um, was at Lowe's the other week, and there was a man that was a homeless man that was sitting out there, and he uh, had legs that were covered in open sores, open wounds that he was not getting addressed, and he looked in so much pain. You see, I, we oftentimes, when we see things like that, our heart hurts. Our heart feels pity for people. But that itself is not mercy. When we see something and we don't do anything about it, that is not mercy as the Bible describes it. And there's a danger because there are so many things in the world that we see on TV and on multimedia, on the internet, that hurt, pull at our heartstrings. And we can have this cathartic feeling where we feel bad about something and think that that is perhaps mercy and but biblically defined that is not quite yet mercy see in the bible mercy is about this yes there is a feeling that you have for somebody when you see them suffering but it is also followed up by concrete action and this is because it's actually coming to the aid of the needy and this is because of the very character of god himself In Exodus 34, we see the the name of God and the character of God. He says, the Lord, the Lord, I am God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Because of this, because in God's very character that He is merciful, we are required and called upon to act mercifully. So a case study that the Bible gives is, imagine somebody, takes, uh, somebody owes you something and you give them, uh, they take, you take their cloak in pledge. They, they, you take a cloak from them as a, um, as a keepsake while they have to pay you back. The God's Word says, by the time they go back to the evening time, you need to give them their cloak back if they don't have another one. Because if they don't have another one, when they're going to go to bed, it will be cold. And if they cry out to me because they're cold at night, I will hear them because I am merciful, says the Lord. This is what Exodus 22 says. If a man has his cloak and, he doesn't have, and his body is cold, you should give it back to him. And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am merciful. Exodus 22. See, our merciful action is necessary because God Himself is merciful. It's in His character. And so we see that mercy is an action of coming to the aid of those who are needy and those who suffer, even when it may be difficult to do so even when it may be costly. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at as the picture of mercy in the parable of the Good Samaritan as we just read. You know how it goes. There's a man who is attacked and he's left half dead, which is an interesting description. He's half dead, meaning he's about to die if he doesn't get help. And we see that there's a priest and a Levite and what it says about them when they saw him, they passed by on the other side. Maybe they felt pity for the man. We don't know. But we do know that they knew the law and they knew what was required of them, but they did nothing. Perhaps they were afraid. And then we see the Samaritan man. It says right there in verse 33 that he came to the man himself. He came to him as he journeyed. He came where he was and he had compassion upon him. He went to him and bound up his wounds. You see, there could have been the robbers still around. And so in this sense, he is putting himself at risk. His own self at risk. And then not only that, we see that he binds up his wounds. He pours oil on him. He sets him on his animal. He takes him to an inn. And at cost to himself, he puts him up in a hotel at the inn and takes care of the man. And Jesus says, which of these ones is the merciful one? And he says, it is the one who showed compassion, who showed mercy on his neighbor. And he says, you go and do likewise. So this is a picture of what it looks like to be merciful that it is actually coming to the aid of those who are in need, even when it may be costly to ourselves, even when it may be difficult, even to those who are different than us, to those who may be non-Christians, to those who are from different place in life than us. This is mercy. And I'll tell you what, that when people see this kind of mercy, it is an attractive quality. In Christians. This is something that when people see this kind of mercy that, that is done when there's no personal advancement to our own self, that it is attractive. 
It is a powerful argument for Christianity. In uh, the 300s, during the early church, there was a pagan emperor whose name was Julian. He was called Julian the Apostate. He was a non-Christian emperor, and he noticed that uh, at that time, pagan worship and pagan religion had been declining all over the place in the Roman Empire. And so he wrote this, uh, this letter to a pagan priest, basically saying, look, we need to promote more paganism. And he starts complaining about Christians, about why Christians have been so successful in growing everywhere as a Christian faith. And this is what he says. He says to this pagan, pagan emperor to a pagan priest, he says this about the Christians. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers that has done so much to increase their faith? It is disgraceful that when no Jewish person ever has to beg and the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. See, this emperor, this pagan emperor said, the reason that Christianity has grown so much is because Christians take care of their own poor and they even take care of our poor better than we do. And this is true because we know that many Christians, when there were plagues, they'd stay behind and take care of those who were sick and dying and would die themselves. And when there were babies who were left aside on the road, that they would adopt them and take them as their own. And this was a powerful argument for the Christian faith. And so we see that when, they see, when, they, when people see our mercy, it opens for them a portrait into seeing the very mercy of Christ. And they see then what Christ has done for us. And so there is one part of mercy right there. But we also see that mercy... Mercy is also about forgiving people who have sinned against you. And to understand this, we need to think about what is the nature of forgiveness? What is the nature of forgiving other people? The the idea of forgiving other people is based on the second great commandment. It's based on this commandment that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or as Jesus also explained it later on the Sermon on Mount, he said it's this, it's that you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a picture of forgiveness because as John Calvin and C.S. Lewis would describe it, forgiveness is a commitment to not hate the people who have hurt you. It is a commitment to desire their ultimate spiritual well-being. To love them as you love yourself. And, and, and enemies are the ones who have hurt us oftentimes. And so we f- see that forgiveness is described as desiring the ultimate spiritual good of the sinner. We may even loathe what they do in their sin because forgiveness wants their ultimate spiritual good just as we desire our own spiritual well-being. Sometimes we can get confused about, about forgiveness. You think about it, for example, when, when my daughter disobeys my son and d- disobeys me and 
She's playing with my son. She puts her hand up and she smacks him on the head. And I say, don't do that. Do not do that. And she does it again. And she disobeys. And she disobeys me and she hurts her brother. He's still at the age where he thinks that it's funny and laughs. So that's probably why she continues to do it. Part of the reason. But, but uh, you know, she, she has consequences. And then afterwards she comes to apologize to me and to her brother. And you know, as a little toddler, she gets a little pucker face with her lip turned up. And she says, I'm sorry, Daddy-O, forgive me. And what do you want to say when your little girl, somebody comes to you and asks for forgiveness? You want to say, oh, it's okay. But forgiveness is not ever saying, it's okay. To say it's okay is just to enable the continuing behavior that is so personally destructive to that person. It says, no, it's not okay. I love you, though. And if you keep doing that to your brother, he will soon be, squisher to, he will soon be bigger than you and he will squish you. And that will be bad for your life. So it's not okay, but I love you and for that reason I forgive you. You see, forgiveness is desiring the ultimate good of the person who has sinned against you, just as we desire our own well-being and our own spiritual good. And this is why it makes sense that we can say that we can forgive those who have sinned against us and we can forgive our enemies. It's the way that Emmanuel uh, AME Church in Charleston could forgive the shooter after killing many of their church members. They weren't saying it's okay. They're saying, we want you to come to faith and repent for your ultimate spiritual well-being. We forgive you and do not hate you. And this is the same way when it comes to those who have been abused in different ways. And so we see that forgiveness is based on the second great commandment that seeks their spiritual well-being as it does our own in a commitment not to hate. And this is very difficult the merciful are those who forgive people who sin against them, desiring their well-being. Now, one of the questions that, that you may have, that I have, is when Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Is he saying that the reason that one day God will have mercy upon you and let you enter the kingdom of heaven and be saved, is he saying that the reason for that is your being merciful? Is he saying that mercy is the good work that we must do in order to be saved? Now, of course we know that's not what he's saying. Because we know from the testimony of Scripture that Scripture interprets Scripture. And that God has said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. See, we could not, mercy could never be the work that we do that could save us. Because no matter how zealous for mercy we are, no matter how much we try to forgive other people, no matter how much we try to come to the aid of those who are needy, it will never make up for our infinite sin and debt that we have before God. And so what is it then? What is it about? From a very practical perspective, I think it's this. It goes to the matter of, if I've been forgiven by God so greatly, so infinitely, how much do I have to forgive other people? 
How much do I have to forgive them? And this is the question that, Paul, that Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 18, this is Jesus' question in verse, or Peter's question in verse 21. He comes up to Jesus after he's told that you need to forgive your brother. He says, Lord, how often, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Do I need to do it as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. This is the sense of completely. You must completely, continually forgive and forgive and forgive. Because you have been forgiven so incredibly much. And he tells the story of two servants. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, verse 23, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents was the equivalent of 200,000 years of hard labor. Or in our day, about $9.6 billion. How he got into that great of a debt, I don't know. That's a lot. But he owed him 200,000 years of labor. And he says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold when his wife and children, with his wife and children and all he had in payment to be made. So the f- servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Is that possible? It is completely impossible. And we see here perhaps that this, this servant didn't understand the gravity of his debt or didn't truly repent. He cannot pay it back. It depends entirely upon the mercy of that great king. And then so the very next verse, it says, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. See, Jesus is saying here that our debt before God is impossible to ever pay back. And the only reason that we are forgiven, that God has mercy upon us, is completely out of His sheer mercy and His grace. That in Christ, He put all of our debts upon Him, and at the great cost of His Son's life, He forgave us. That this is our debt. It is so infinitely impossible to ever be paid. And then there's another servant. He's released from his debt. But then it says, when, the, when that same servant, verse 28, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred days labor. Two hundred thousand years labor versus a hundred days labor. So you think you should understand how he should react. What does he do? Seizing him, he began to choke him. He chokes him. And he says, pay back what you owe right now. I need it. Basically, pay back what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you back. Now that's completely possible. And this is the startling, startling difference is the way this other servant responds. He refuses. 
He refuses to have pity upon him, to forgive him, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And the point is how shocking it is that one who had been forgiven so much would not forgive another person who had forgiven him, who had sinned against him so little in comparison. And he says, go, uh, that if you, if you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy upon you. You see, in stark terms, Jesus is saying that a lack of forgiveness, when we, for, when we lack forgiving other people, it is a sign that we may not understand our forgiveness. That you may not have received it. And so the, the lack of the fruit of forgiveness in your life ought to concern you if you find that you do not forgive other people. But to put it in a positive way, when we find in our hearts that when we forgive others, this is a testimony to ourselves and to others that our sins have been forgiven by Christ. The way Westminster talks about it, it is, it is a testimony of the fact that we have had our sins already forgiven. Because you think about it, people who sin against us, it hurts us so much. And our, those sins seem so great and grievous as they oftentimes are. And it would be impossible oftentimes for us to forgive people and to not hate them. And so when we find that we do forgive them and we do not hate them, we're saying, I see Christ's mercy was so much greater in me and so I am able now to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. And this becomes a testimony of the fact that we have received such a great forgiveness before that we are now willing and able to forgive others who have sinned against us. So those who have received mercy, those who are merciful, will forgive those who sin against them. But we see how difficult this is. How difficult it is in in life to be this kind of a person. To be the kind of person that comes to the aid of those who are in need. And to be the kind of person that forgives those who sin against them. I will tell you personally that when I have had to have situations where I am required to give sustained mercy to somebody over time it becomes exhausting and it becomes a situation in which you want to become so harsh when i was in college i had a a friend who was an international student whose father was killed back in his home country he fell apart he he was in financial need he was struggling he became dependent upon me almost as if he was a child and it became so exhausting to be merciful to this guy. He came and lived with me for some time, and I remember one time I was so exhausted of this continual mercy to him that I yelled at him. It's hard to be merciful like that to people. And when we have been hurt by people, when they have sinned against us, it is very difficult not to harbor hatred and resentment in our hearts. Sometimes I think of those who have caused me emotional stress that I would be happier if I saw them just completely fail in life. Sometimes we would prefer to see them 
fail and not care about their ultimate spiritual well-being. And so we see the portrait of mercy that is called to us as a Christian. And we see how much we fail. And we see the picture of Christ and how perfect He is. And this, the mercy of Christ, ought to be for us the motivation, the enablement that we have to continue the hard work of mercy. So consider the mercy of Christ. Because in Romans 12 it says, By the many mercies of, of God, I appeal to you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. See, mercy is being a living sacrifice. And it is by the mercies of God that we're enabled to do it. And so consider the very mercy of Christ that He is willing to help us. Hebrews 2, 16-18 says this, Surely it is not the angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham, those of us who are united to Christ by faith. He helps us. Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are also being tempted. You see how Christ has been so incredibly merciful to us. That He was a merciful high priest and that He Himself became the propitiation for our sins. That is, that He blotted out our sins. He covered them, destroyed them by His death on the cross and His blood washed them away completely at the cost of His life. He covered them. This is how He has been merciful and how He has helped us in the past. But He is merciful to us now as well. He is presently merciful because we see that He is right now a merciful high priest who helps us. Verse 18 of this says that because He suffered when He was tempted, He is presently, He is able to help us who are being tempted. Sometimes those of us who are of the millennial generation will say that the struggle is real about something. Whatever we may say. But the struggle is real. Jesus understands how real the struggle is. He understands how much we struggle with temptation because He went to the very edge of temptation. He knows it more than us, and yet He did not sin. And when He was on the cross, He was tempted not to be merciful and to come down off of that cross, but He stayed upon the cross. And now because He is presently merciful, He understands what we go through. This is why He can truly help us and be willing to be merciful to us. This makes Him the perfect advocate for us. That He is willing and helpful. Willing to help us as the advocate. He understands us. It is not our works. Not even our mercy. Not a priest. There are no saints. Nobody who is able to help us like Christ. Because He understands what we go through and He right now 
is there to help us when we are being tempted not to be merciful. And He has given us the Holy Spirit to aid us. Think about how a merciful advocate will quickly come to your aid when you're in need. A merciful advocate quickly comes to our aid when we are in need. A couple weeks ago after church, after I was preaching, I was really hungry because sometimes preaching makes me hungry. And we, we went home and we were having a salad. And a salad is not enough food most of the time. And I was supposed to share my salad with my daughter. And before long, I realized I had eaten all of the salad and my, my daughter had had one bite. She said, where's my salad? <laughs> and right away, right away, won't you know it, my wife came quickly to the aid of my daughter against me. And she chewed me out. You see, you know what it is like to be a merciful advocate for those who are in need, who you care so much for. And this is exactly what Jesus is like when we are in need. That he is a merciful advocate who quickly comes to our aid when we are in need. And so let us pray. Lord God, we see that mercy is a high calling upon us as Christians because you have been so merciful to us. Lord, as we come to the table, would you help us to see your great mercy for us who have faith in you, that you might strengthen our faith and enable us by your grace to live lives of mercy in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.